From the Tulsa World, this is the OU Sports Extra Podcast, sponsored by Albert G's Barbecue. Here are your hosts, Eric Bailey and Mason Young. On what was expected to be a quiet week for Oklahoma football, it's been anything but as the regular season winds down. Eric Bailey, Mason Young here talking OU football. I, Mason, I will be honest with you. I was looking forward to this week after we found out OU was not going to the Big 12 championship game because it allowed us to reset, kind of plan on what our recruiting uh, coverage would be in the upcoming weeks. And it turns into looking for an offensive coordinator, finding an offensive coordinator, you running down to Texas uh, probably quicker than we expected to talk to recruits. Uh, But uh, between all that, it's been a really fruitful week as well. Yeah, just just a crazy week. Uh, I I don't know that anybody uh, expected all that that has transpired. Obviously, we kind of had an idea, some reports out there after the last game that uh, Jeff Levy uh, might be leaving, and and uh, he obviously that became official on Sunday. Him becoming the new head coach at Mississippi State, and then begins the whole uh, the search to to find an offensive coordinator. And sounds like OU did talk to some external candidates, but it, Brent Venables said in a statement yesterday, it really just came back to their offensive staff and what they already had in-house. And so uh, it's been all about, uh, you know, us trying to uh, get uh, people's thoughts on on Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley uh, becoming the new co-offensive coordinators for OU and, and what those that have, have worked for them and, and have relationships with them uh, think about what they bring to the table leading OU's offense moving forward. I think continuity was probably the most important thing for Oklahoma football at this time, and, and we're seeing that more and more. Uh, we saw it when Lincoln Riley was hired. We saw it when Brent Venables was hired. We're going to see it again with Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley being promoted into their respective jobs. Uh, the players, of course, the recruiting, everything's going to stay the same. Uh, it's funny because I always wonder, I wondered if OU would even explore going outside and looking for an office coordinator. And if you do that, more than likely you lose all your assistant coaches, you lose your beaten bows, you lose your DeMarco Murrays, uh, you may lose your Emmett Jones as well. So I was curious about Oklahoma, if they were going to go that direction. Uh, it, it really appears like it was more of a seamless transa- transaction with uh, Seth Luttrell spending the past year on Oklahoma's campus as an offensive analyst. He knows the personnel. He is, apparently has a good relationship with Jackson Arnold, which is very important. You need to have that player-quarterback relationship. And Seth Luttrell, what he's going to do for the first time in his career is coach quarterbacks. He's never done that before, but I, I, I don't know. We'll see how that develops. Uh, but Oklahoma really had to move fast on this hire because they needed uh, the signing days. We're less than three weeks from signing days. They need to keep this recruiting class intact. Yeah, obviously, uh, it, you know, you, there's a lot of really talented uh, pieces on both sides of the ball in, in this one. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, there's obviously some uh, they already had one commitment and uh, decommitment in, in Dozy as uh, the receiver that that the decommitted, uh, but otherwise largely intact. A lot of guys, uh, you know, saying that they are are sticking with OU, and I think that that a lot of that is probably because of just the familiarity with Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley. They've gotten to know those guys as part of OU's offensive staff on visits, and and there's trust that 
uh, you know, their their offense isn't going to deviate too much from uh, Levy's. These guys are are still going to fit, and uh, and it's going to be a good thing for both sides moving forward. When we look at Seth Luttrell, he's a he's a guy who's been an offensive coordinator at Indiana, at North Carolina, and also um, what am I leaving out? Help me out, Arizona. Uh huh. Arizona. Arizona. I couldn't think of it. I couldn't think of Arizona. That's funny. In fact, Arizona, now, you know, getting old, Mason, Arizona, that was his first job as an offensive coordinator. And I had a chance to talk to Mike Stoops uh, yesterday, which was really neat talking to Mike. I haven't talked to Mike really in depth uh, since he departed the Oklahoma program. Mike's now the uh, linebackers coach, inside linebackers coach at Kentucky. And he talked about how uh, Seth Luttrell was innovative and fearless as an offensive coordinator. He was willing to, to 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 really take shots. He was really, really, uh, it was important to Seth to run the football, which I think is big for Oklahoma. I think especially when you go into the SEC next year, you're going to have to be able to run the football. But Mike Stoops had a lot of really good things to say about Seth Luttrell and his ability as an offensive coordinator. And, and Stoops made a good point, something we probably need to talk about too, is how he's really surrounded by um, – He's really surrounded by really good assistant coaches. Uh, Mike Stoops talked about having a lot of respect for Bill Biedenboe, talked about Joe John, uh, you know, talked about DeMarco, and uh, also, of course, talked about Coach Jones, too. And Mike Stoops said that's very important to be surrounded by really, really good assistant coaches. And I, I think that's key as well. So, but it was neat talking to Mike. Mike's excited about where Oklahoma is as an offense. He, he can tell he really continues to follow Oklahoma football. And uh, he's really, you know, on a side note, he's really proud of Drake Stoops, his nephew. He, he talked, we talked, and I'll have that for a future story about how excited he is for Drake Stoops and uh, what Drake's been able to do during his career in Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, with the assistant coaches all, you know, staying in place, it really seems like the the terminology will not change that much uh, at all from, you know, their terminology with Lebby and the offensive coordinator. I, I do think a lot of the indications we've gotten is that the the philosophy will change a little bit. Lebby wants to run to throw and, and Latrell more so probably wants to throw to run. Uh, but uh, again, the continuity is, is really just uh, going to be huge. And I think that that's, really especially important too when you know all likelihood is that Jackson Arnold is going to be OU starter next year you you don't he's already been in in that system an entire year and you know to ask him to you know learn a completely different playbook would be really tough if you went a a different route uh, with your offensive coordinator and you made like an external hire or you lost a bunch of uh, offensive staff members and, and had to rethink how you were doing some things. Um, so for Brent Venables, you know, keeping this as close to status quo um, as he was able to do, I think is a big win for, uh, you know, making sure that that Seth and Joe John have all the support they need because they're working with the same guys that they've been working with to making Jackson Arnold feel comfortable and ready to go for next year.
Seth Luttrell was named the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Joe John Finley's official title was co-offensive coordinator, uh, but it was noted in the uh, press release that he'll have an expanded role in terms of game planning and such. So I think that's big for Oklahoma. Uh, we'll see what happens in terms, like I said, running the football. That's I think that's what Oklahoma fans will be excited about establishing the run. One player I got to talk to, a uh, former player of uh, Seth Luttrell, was Mason Fine. Mason Fine spent four years as Seth Luttrell's quarterback at North Texas. He was a two-time Conference USA Offensive Player of the Year, threw for uh, more than 10,000 yards, had more than 90 touchdown passes with Coach Luttrell. Uh, now, admittedly, uh, Seth didn't call the plays when Mason was quarterback. A lot of that went to Graham Harrell. Uh, but now... Uh, I mean, now Seth talked, I mean, excuse me, Mason talked about how Seth really worked close with him on game planning. Uh, they did talk a lot about what he liked to do, what he didn't like to do. Uh, Mason talked about how he, the thing is, going back to the ground game, Mason talked about how Seth likes to establish the run and run the football. And he said he's a wizard at, you know, making sure, you know, working the box. You know, he's not going to run into something crazy. He's going to make sure to take advantage of everything he wants to do. And then he loves to take his shots, too. He loves going downfield. Uh, uh, Mason Fine made a really good point of saying Seth Luttrell's never had the weapons that he's going to have next year. And he said he's excited about seeing how Seth Luttrell's going to work with all the dynamic playmakers on this offense. So I think in a in chance in, a, in an opportunity to talk to Mason, it, it was really interesting to hear his insight on the Seth Luttrell and the quarterback-coach relationship. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think from what we've seen in a few open practices that we've been to, Seth Luttrell has been uh, with the quarterbacks some, and so would assume also, you know, from Denton, the Jackson Arnold coming from Denton Geyer in North Texas, you know, being right there, that there's there's probably a, a pretty good relationship there, and and obviously the to your point eric the playmakers that he's going to have are incredible i mean when you think about a skill group of gavin sawchuk and and javante barnes and and then out wide you're looking at jalil farouk nick anderson jaden gibson and uh andrell anthony coming back from injury plus you know some guys that that didn't play as much this year but might get more opportunities uh somewhat i'm thinking like jaquez petaway uh, as somebody in that vein, uh, there's a lot to like there. I mean, it's it's not like he is operating with a, a bare cupboard on offense for sure. He's got a lot of talent, and it'll all be about figuring out how to maximize that talent. When we talk about what Oklahoma done, has did at the offensive coordinator job, uh, part of this was, you know, that this hire was keeping the recruiting class intact, especially on the offensive side of the football Um and you had a chance, uh, like I said, we were you were going to go to Texas and talk to different players, different recruits. I was envisioning it happening next week, but with all the news breaking, you jumped in the car within a moment's notice and drove and spent a day in Texas, spent two days in Texas. And I don't know how many miles you put on your truck, but you drove and you hit multiple recruits. Uh, not only offense, you hit some defensive recruits too, but you hit some key players on the offensive side of the football to get gauge their reaction on what they thought about the change, coordinator change. Uh, all appear locked in. You had really, really good conversations with both coaches and players, uh, and uh, you're going to have a ton of stories. We've already seen, uh, you know, one story 
uh, on uh, Michael Hawkins Jr. You're going to have a lot more stories after that about just getting the thoughts on these players. I guess I'm going to just turn everything over to you. Can you just talk about your trip to Texas, who you talked to, uh, what they said, and uh, maybe some of the stories you're going to be working on? Well, this had been the plan regardless of, uh, you know, Jeff Levy leaving. And uh, also, you know, it just the timing in terms of the timing, right? The Big 12 uh, game, OU not being part of that, just freed up an opportunity to get it done that much sooner. Um, Actually started with the defense. Went to Louisville High School and talked to Jaden Hardy, a four-star safety a commit in OU's class. Really good talk with him as well as uh, Nigel Smith, really a talented four-star defensive lineman that uh, is committed to OU out of Melissa High School. So went down to Melissa and talked to him and then went up to uh, Frisco Emerson and talked to Michael Hawkins about um, why he's staying committed to OU, even though uh, Jeff Levy uh, left and and he just explained that he really trusted Brent Venables and he also has a really good relationship with uh, Joe John Finley and Seth Luttrell and, and feels like that that's going to be a good fit for him and, and finally the second day of the trip had a chance to go out uh, leave the Metroplex and and go out to Longview to talk to Taylor Tatum he's not signing uh, on early signing day he will not be signing until February but uh, he just wanted to get his thoughts about uh, Jeff Levy's departure, and and he said that uh, it didn't really affect his commitment, and and he's uh, sticking with Demarco Murray and OU. So uh, obviously, as we previously mentioned, only one decommitment so far in terms of offensive players for OU. So things are are looking really good, and this is is shaping up to be another strong recruiting finish for uh, Brent Venables. I think that when we look at signing day and, and keeping this, you got to remember, this is the signing class that's going to usher Oklahoma into the SEC conference. You know, I'm excited about seeing the recruiting rankings. Uh, usually we see Oklahoma number one or number two in the Big 12 recruiting rankings. We're seeing Oklahoma right now uh, top 10, top 12 nationally in the recruiting races, rankings for the 2024 class, but yet we're seeing them fifth or sixth in the SEC, which should tell you the strength of, of recruiting in the Southeastern Conference. So I think that that's big. It starts with uh, Hawkins and Tatum and, and there's, you know, David Stone coming in from IMG. There's so many talented players on this. Um, now, as we enter this season, the, the, we talk about silly season with coaches. It's almost silly season with the transfer portal too. Uh, Oklahoma does have two players, on, you know, in the portal that are departing in DJ Graham and Marcus Hicks. But you got to think that Oklahoma is going to be hitting the portal strong uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, especially with the departures on that defensive line. You'd love to get another offensive lineman. Uh, but what what are your thoughts, Mason, on on the portal and what's going to happen at the on the portal, especially given what Oklahoma did last year to use the portal to their advantage? Well, Brent Venables did talk about uh, after the past two years doing a lot for the portal through the portal that uh, he hopes to, you know, moving forward, maybe not do quite as much. I think it's I think it's a few plug and play guys here and there. Uh, I think when you think about positions of need, they had five like five defensive linemen that were contributors this season you know, relatively decent contributors that are all out of eligibility. So 
then you also have a couple defensive linemen, Dejon Terry, Jacob Lacey, that have an extra year of eligibility, but you don't know what they might decide to do. And so I, I think the defensive line is definitely a, a position where they can stand to add a guy or two. Also, you know, Walter Rouse being out of eligibility, McCabe Matoyer being out of eligibility, Tyler Guyton, pretty good chance he's going to the draft. Offensive line is, is going to definitely be a position of need as well. They do have some, you know, young guys that they like that can potentially step up. But I also wouldn't be surprised to see them add somebody, a veteran uh, with experience, if if that's something that becomes available uh, for them. Obviously, it worked out really well for them doing that with Walter Rouse uh, this year. So the trenches are definitely going to be a priority. I also wonder if you take a look at uh, tight end. You obviously are bringing in a very talented tight end recruit in Devon Mitchell from California. And, and, you know, he's potentially someone that can contribute from day one, but you just really did not have a, a lot of depth there this year with injuries and, and just guys not being a factor. It really felt like Austin Stogner was the only tight end they could trust the entirety of the season. He was playing almost all of the snaps. And so if you can get a, a veteran to compliment Mitchell, you know, somebody that they can kind of split the snaps, uh, I, I think that's a important it it feels like ever since uh Braden Willis left right you know oh you just really didn't have a playmaker at tight end this year and if, if there's somebody in the portal of that ilk that they think they can go and get I think they would be remiss not to with looking back at how this year played out and seeing that they had some opportunities to hit on a, a more impactful tight end in the portal and just really didn't Oklahoma switching gears, looking at postseason awards. Oklahoma received four members on the uh, first team, two on the second team. Uh, you know, the surprising thing, we'll go over the first teamers in a second, but, the, you know, the really surprising thing to me, Mason, was there wasn't any uh, individual awards. I really thought, and, and, you know, Ollie Gordon had a great year. No, I don't want to, I am not saying that he is not deserving of what he received but I really thought that, you know, uh, Dylan Gabriel would have a really good chance at winning Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, and Dylan Gabriel, in fact, was the uh, unanimous pick at quarterback. The 13 other coaches who could vote for Dylan voted for Dylan for first-team quarterback. But those same coaches voted for Ollie Gordon unanimously for running back. So my guess is it was a close call between Gabriel and Ollie Gordon for Offensive Player of the Year. Um, that kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, other than that, I, you know, there was argument there. You could have made arguments for other players, um, but Dylan Gabriel was first team quarterback. Uh, help me out here. Billy Bowman was on the first team. Drake Stoops, good for him. His his final year at Oklahoma, and he's a first team wide receiver. Uh, that was that was big time. And then of course, uh, Danny Stetsman at linebacker, who I still will never get over him not being a Butkus finalist, one of the. You're looking at a first-team All-Big 12 linebacker not who's not one of the top 12 linebackers in the country. Uh, I'll never get over that. But Stutzman, Bowman, Stoops, and Gabriel on first team. Second team, uh, Andrew Rame and Ethan Downs, who was a preseason uh, pick. The, the Oklahoma's only preseason pick on the All-Big 12 team. He makes second team. So you had six players that were uh, – 
welcomed by the all big 12 team the 13 coaches the 14 coaches could vote it's, it's their vote and they just can't vote for their own players any thoughts on the on the all, all conference team mason well more broadly than that you mentioned danny stetsman not being on the butt case uh, it feels like billy bowman was probably also snubbed for the jim thorpe award not being a finalist for that i mean six interceptions uh, second in the nation three of them pick six school records in that and also in his interception return yards this season had a really fantastic season was just consistent for Oklahoma throughout and made big plays when they needed him to so obviously deserving is all big 12 first teamer probably deserved a little bit more uh, national recognition uh, to the argument of Ollie Gordon versus Dylan Gabriel uh, you're right. That's it's a really, really tough argument. If I had to guess, and I'm not saying this is necessarily how I view it, but if I had to guess what a lot of people uh, maybe factored in, uh, we could jo- we could joke about head to head. We could talk about you know what <laughs> OSU beat OU. Uh, you know, for some people that might have been a factor, but you could also you know think about just Ollie Gordon coming up in the in the biggest moments where uh, OSU needed him i mean it, it felt like he really took that BYU game over uh, there at the end and uh and, and that you know just just a game where he really just took over and just led the way uh you know you can uh probably put a lot of stock in that and that's probably what a lot of people looked at Obviously, Dylan Gabriel had those moments too. Uh, the Texas game, especially that game-winning drive, was incredible. But uh, OU was a a lot more, uh, in general, balanced team. I would say than OSU. They they didn't you know need to be a one-man show all the time. They found different ways to win, and uh, so that's probably part of the Ollie Gordon argument for his candidacy as as offensive player of the year. It's funny too, uh, just sitting back and you know what's the meme eating popcorn? Michael Jackson eating popcorn. I, I've loved watching on social media the uh, coach of the year debate between Steve Sarkeesian and Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy was named Big Twelve Coach of the Year. There's a lot of Texas fans that are taking umbrage with that, especially after Texas going to Tuscaloosa, beating Alabama, going eleven and one. Their only loss was on the last second drive by Oklahoma. A lot of Texas fans are really, really questioning uh, why Mike Gundy was picked over Sark. I think I just I'm just curious if that's a that was a close call. Uh, is there anything to the Big 12 bias with Texas leaving and and people not wanting to vote for a Texas coach for Coach of the Year? I don't know. There's so much you can read about or read into it. But the funny thing is, everything's going to be settled on Saturday when those coaches meet at AT and T Stadium at 11 a.m. So. Um, as we as we wrap this up, uh, let's switch sports. Let's let's go to basketball. And uh, it's Thursday when we're taping this, and you got an exciting Thursday night game, uh, a unique Thursday night game at McClaslin Fieldhouse. Can you kind of break down uh, what you expect, what it'll be like, and uh, just your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I don't. Uh, it, it it's a students only game. They're only letting, they're quite literally only letting students attend this game. No season ticket holders slash adults or whatever you want to call them. Uh, it's just students. So it will be interesting to see what the turnout looks like. Uh, they've obviously tried to market a lot on social media and 
Porter Moser is very big on. He goes and visits uh, the Greek houses, you know, a couple months before basketball season starts every year and makes his pitch to all the students in Greek life to come out to the games and support. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the, the turnout looks like tonight. And, uh, I think it's just going to be really cool seeing these guys play in a historic venue like McCasland where, you know, guys like Alvin Adams played uh, way, way back in the day. And, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think uh, UAPB is a particularly good opponent. I think OU should win this game pretty handily. So maybe that'll kind of add to the, uh, the magic of things of, of just seeing, uh, you know, a modern day basketball team play in this historic venue. The nationally ranked Sooners, too. Uh, we're, we're talking about a team that's gotten the top 25 and unbeaten uh, under Porter Mosier. And uh, it's a great start by Oklahoma. I think that's that's the big thing with what Oklahoma has been able to do. So uh, just kind of curious what the what the uh, attendance is going to be, what the atmosphere is going to be, uh, be. It's going to be pretty exciting from that end to see what happens. The Oklahoma women, uh, two losses this week, or last week, excuse me, they, they lost twice in the Fort Myers tip-off. They lost to Princeton, and they lost to then number 19, Tennessee. Uh, tough, tough way after a 5-0 and start. Sooners are now 5-2. and uh, They do play Grambling uh, tomorrow night, Friday, uh, at Lloyd Noble Center, trying to bounce back from back-to-back -back losses. Though you were, fell out of the top 25 on the women's side. Uh, but you, you still look, this is a team that's still, I mean, for all the good that they've done, they're still building chemistry. I think that's what you think too. And in the competition that they lost to in Florida was, you know, Princeton's receiving votes in the top 25, uh, Tennessee is a ranked team. Uh, it was interesting. That was Jenny Brownchek's first loss against an SEC school. Uh, they, he, she's now four and one, uh, you know, which included a win at number 12 Ole Miss earlier this year. So, I, you know, Oklahoma plays one game this week. They play Grambling. It, it's been a good week of practice for the Sooners just to prepare for, you know, get things right. Uh, and, you know, what, what's really interesting about this Oklahoma team is they continue to share the basketball, and that's just a staple of Jenny Branchek's offense. They have four players with at least 2.8 assists a game, uh, which is pretty remarkable when you think about, you know, what this team, you know, we talk about team chemistry. Uh, this is a new look roster and they're still able to share the basketball like they do. So that's pretty exciting too. So just one game for the Sooners, five and two uh, going against Grambling, six o'clock Friday at Lloyd Noble Center. Grambling is enters the game at three and three. Well, Mason, as we wrap this up, uh, just uh, it's going to be another exciting week because recruiting hits. We'll probably find out what happens in the portal. Uh, any last thoughts at all about Oklahoma as we move forward? No, just to your point, uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. You know, it's funny that we thought this was going to be a slow week and kind of a break week. It was rapid fire, and I would expect the next couple weeks to to be the same as OU uh, prepares for its bowl game, but also tries to get its ducks in a row for next season going into the SEC. We'll learn Oklahoma's bowl opponent on Sunday. Uh, it appears more than likely the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio where they were two years ago, uh, there's an outside chance. Uh, you know, we've been trying to work the numbers. OU is number 12 in the college football playoff. Is there a chance they can sneak into a New Year's Six Bowl? Yes. Do a lot of things have to happen for that to happen? Definitely. Uh, so we'll see on Sunday if they can sneak in. 
but all indications probably are the Alamo Bowl down in San Antonio against a Pac-12 opponent. Uh, so kind of curious who that opponent will be. At one point, if we thought Alamo Bowl, we thought USC. That's not going to happen. I think I saw USC projected in one uh, by one uh, prognosticator to play in the Independence Bowl. Oh, my goodness. USC and Shreveport. Uh, does Caleb Williams play in Shreveport, if that's the case? I, I don't think so. But uh, should we back our backs for San Antonio? Yeah, San Antonio against Arizona is a really popular pick. It, it looks like it's 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 pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all. That'll wrap it up this week on a busy week and a really, really busy week for Oklahoma Athletics. New offensive coordinator, Seth Latrell, co-offensive coordinator, Joe John Finley, uh, the, the transfer portal signing day. Uh, be sure and read Mason's coverage, especially from all these new recruits. He, he, he talked to a lot of new faces. We'll have stories on them upcoming, as well as covering all the events, happenings at Oklahoma. Uh, so we appreciate you guys listening today. We appreciate all your readership at TulsaWorld.com. As always, keep up with us. We'll keep you informed.